I used to sit in the preschool in tears. People say to me all the time, you're a parenting expert because you've got six kids. And I'm like, well, no, I know plenty of people with lots of kids and they're not parenting experts at all. <laughs> Doesn't matter which school they go to as long as they're being well supported at home because I will not be camping out to get them into the out of area or the fancy private schools. From the news desk to the nursery, Mom! this is the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. Yes, this is a show where we let the parents do the talking because God knows I don't get much time to talk in my house because my kids are always doing that thing. Mom! And then just generally speaking. So we choose a mum and a dad because of their very valuable skills in raising children and they come into the studio to share their take on the news of the week. Our topics today are... We spend so much time worrying about our kids' addictions to screens, but what do our kids think of our screen use? Also, some midwives in Queensland have come up with a list of words that should be banned from the delivery room, including good girl, which sounds like a very good idea to me. What words would you have banned from the Labor Ward? And following the death of a professional boxer in the UK and research revealing the unknown damage contact sports may be causing, should we be banning our children from some sports? And of course, I'm not talking about boxing here. It might be rugby or those sorts of sports where they can get knocked around in the head. And finally, one mum embarked on a crazy race across New Zealand and it's inspired me to ask, what is the biggest adventure you've had since having kids? Joining me to discuss all these topics is Sarah Hunstead, the founding director of CPR Kids, and Luke Eskom, who is otherwise known as asparagus from The Vegetable Plot. Hello, guys. How are you? Hello. Hello. I'll start with you, Sarah. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? Sure thing. So there is four of us in my little family. We have two little girls who are seven and nine and a 13-year-old Labradoodle. (laughs) I thought you were going to talk about your your husband then. I'm like, he's... No, no, no. There's the rank, remember? The husband oh, comes... Okay. Oh, sorry. No offence, Luke. Uh-huh. I just did so, Okay, I'm just going to wind that back a little no, bit No, no, that's why we've got you here, Sarah. Just get Straight out Straight into the prejudice. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So my girls are in primary school, and I have two children who are the polar opposites of each other, which makes life very interesting in my household. Uh-huh. I'm sure that will come into some stories later on. Luke... Can you tell us about your family? I have a uh, four-year-old son called Harry. He's going to be five very soon. He's very excited about turning five. He has, uh, he's been talking about his birthday since his last birthday. <laughs> he, he gets the whole concept that he gets presents. Um, and uh, my wife and I live uh, in Avalon because that's where she teaches at the local Montessori school. And we've been sort of moving steadily north so she can be closer to work. And then we finally decided we wanted Harry to go to that school. And so we sort of live in the the kind of fantasy bubble that is Avalon. Beautiful. And, um, yeah, suddenly my life is sort of revolving around the school. I'm going in there and playing vegetable plot songs. And we seem to be hanging out with the parents every night and having picnics. <laughs> so I'm, I'm living the You're full-on Northern Beaches dad lifestyle. Oh, that's awesome. Do you have a stripy shirt? I haven't got a stripy shirt. No, no, have I, I, I haven't. Uh, I don't. I don't quite understand why everyone is walking around dressed like cat burglars in Avalon. Um, but no, that's I, a very Sydney joke. I'm sorry for the rest of Australia, but the Avalon is on the northern beaches in yeah. Sydney, and there's a certain dress code that one generally subscribes to and I thought it was a joke until I visited a friend it's, it's on the northern beaches and I saw I'm not kidding at the one football game a soccer game there were like four women in white and blue stripy shirts yeah and the men too and the men too yeah. except for you 
Not me, no. I, I don't have to get dress like one. anyone else there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe I can get a fully, like a striped hat, striped socks, everything striped. <gasps> yes. That would be awesome. That's a challenge to you. All right, let's 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 get started. In just a minute, what do you think, what do your kids think of your screen use? Hello, hello, baby, you called, I can't hear a thing. I have done no service in the club, you say, say. What, what, what did you say? Oh, you're breaking up on me. Sorry, I cannot hear you. I'm kind of busy. The, mil- the millennial in the team chose the song for this one. Uh, <laughs> great film clip. Anyway, we spend a lot of time worrying about the amount of time our kids spend in front of screens. But what about us? Adults in particular have an overwhelming attachment to our phones. At least I know I do. After all, it's where we manage all the many balls of our busy lives from planning doctor's appointments, catching up with friends and coordinating with our partners. But what kind of impact is that having on our kids? This week, Kindling editor Lucy Kippist wrote about why this use of phones removes us from the present and has even led to a new medical condition called text neck. (laughs) We think we should start with the medical person in the um, studio, which is Sarah. Have you ever heard of text neck, Sarah? I haven't heard of TextNect, but I can absolutely see how it happens. But I have um, certainly seen problems in teenagers with their texting thumbs when they have the two on the go. Is that like RSI? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the thumbs? Absolutely. So literally sore thumbs and wrists. I was about to call them ankles, but uh, <laughs> I'm a nurse. Trust me. Uh-oh. I'm a nurse. <laughs> um, and literally having that, that sore fingers. When it comes to whether my children think that I'm addicted to my phone. Yes. Well, <laughs> six months ago, I would have said that, yes, they definitely would have said that. Little caveat there, I run a business. I'm connected and I choose to pick up my children from school at three o'clock, three days a week as well. But the business doesn't stop then. And I realised that I wasn't present with the kids when that was happening. When I arrived home, kids are home, phone starts ringing. One of them runs over to me, mum, mum, your phone's ringing. Quick, answer it. And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. We don't need to worry. Again, mum, your phone's got a message. Don't you want to look at it? Like, oh, has that been my behaviour? They've picked that up from me that this thing, this object is so important that they're telling me you know, to help that I want this. And I went, oh, oh we got problems here. <laughs> we got big problems. So now we've made a rule that when I pick up the kids, the phone and the computer stay away and for a certain amount of time. And then I can reconnect again later to check and then it goes off again. So we've just set boundaries around it. I love that, that we... We do need to set boundaries for ourselves, don't we? I mean, look, do you have the similar issue? Because you're, I mean, in a way, the vegetable plot is a business. You've got to book gigs. You've got to... Well, thank you for acknowledging that. Yes, it is. It's actually, it is actually work. It's my job. It is work. Um, and I have four Gmail accounts and four Facebook pages for my various, uh, you know, different entities. Two Instagram pages, two Twitters. So there's always something going on. And... Uh, it's, it, it is quite addictive during the day. You know, what happens is you, you wake up in the morning, you post some content on one page, another page, you send some emails, and you've kind of you set something in motion and you get excited about seeing, oh, have they replied to my email yet? What's happening? How many likes have I got? 
And you trick yourself, I think, into thinking that that is work and that it's productive. And to a certain point, it is. Um, but there's also, I, I'm very aware now, I've been aware of it for, for quite a while, that there's a threshold past which you are working for Facebook rather than Facebook working for you. So it's, it's definitely a resolution I have this year to give less of my work to Facebook. Um, <laughs> That's a good way of putting I'm it. I'm not... I'm not winning at it at the moment, I must say, because it's uh, the the thing about the Facebook algorithm is you like stuff that you like, and then it gives you more and more of that. So my feed at the moment is just like the, the most sublime <laughs> distractions. You know, there's like, oh, here's a fish that can make art underwater, and here's some rare, you know, 1962 footage of my favorite blues guy on a German TV station. Every every single story is amazing, uh, and then you know, my son's just sort of on the floor thrusting into the carpet um but i mean what what i've started to do now which um which i love and he loves is we just uh, uh, make time to go out and play catch or to do something physical until he's tired of it um and uh, I, I always that got, could be a long time well if he's four almost five I, I remember as a kid being really annoyed with adults that would stop doing something before I was tired of it. It was sort of a bit of a resolution. This is, again, you know, I'm not a person that keeps resolutions, but I make a lot. Now, one, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to do as a dad uh, was, to, was to stay there and to keep playing the game until it's so much done. more stamina than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my son's quite lazy, so it's not, <laughs> it's not that hard. I'm always disappointed. I'm always begging him to go and play football with me. And he's like, no, nah, I don't want to. Um, but it's it's good now. He plays Lego, so that's his thing. He gets really absorbed in the Lego, uh, while my wife and I are just looking at our phones. <laughs> I was going to say. And have you noticed? I mean, that thing about um, how your children respond to how you use it as a kind of mirror on. Oh my God, I've got to stop. It sounds like you're pretty self-reflective and could see your own behaviour. I'm, I'm aware of it. I shame myself. You shamed yourself, but yeah. was Harry and ever, ever at any point shaming you for it? Uh, I asked him uh, whether he thought I was addicted to the phone. He said, nah. <laughs> I'm not sure. It. Do but, you but he was But he was addicted to the – we went to uh, Europe when he was two, and we were on the plane for a long time. We were on the train for like seven hours from Berlin to Vienna, and uh, we just gave him the iPad and let him watch things. And we thought, it's all right. It's holiday. It's, you know, once we get back, we'll it'll, it'll be no more screen time. And of course, he was absolutely addicted, and it, it – it has been part of our lives ever since. I think we've got good rules now around his screen time, and we just really need some for us. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Um, you're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation. Our two parents in the studio today are founding director of CPR Kids, Sarah Hunstead, and Luke Eskom, a.k.a. Asparagus from The Vegetable Plot. And next, what words should be banned from the maternity suite? You're listening to Kindly Conversation. And also, again, I have to say this song was chosen by two women who have not experienced childbirth, but I couldn't have thought of a more apt song to go with this story. 
Going into labour is such a private, personal experience. Some women like their partners to hold them. Others don't want to be touched. And the same must be said for words. There are some things that are just not helpful when you're trying to bring a baby into the world. Um, This week, some Queensland midwives have called for an end to certain words in the delivery room. And the idea is that positive language can be empowering as opposed to certain phrases that will frighten the bejesus out of anyone. So things like failure to progress or being told you must have a cesarean as opposed to I advise you have a cesarean or being described as giving poor maternal effort. Before I come to Sarah and Luke, uh, we had some comments from Facebook. Michelle says, add suck it up to the list, adding additional insult to an already difficult time. Uh, Though Katrina does say, I'd have punched someone if they kept correcting me from painful contractions, which was one thing they said to avoid, to strong contractions. That beep is painful. So so we've got some mixed impressions here. Um, Sarah, can I even ask what your labour was like? We're in a safe space here. I'm one of those lucky people who had two good births. I'm not saying they're a walk in the park. It's the hardest things I've ever done. But I had two good births. Now, when we were talking about this, I've got two perspectives here. I've got the clinician perspective, and I've also got the I'm pushing a baby out of my vagina perspective. (laughs) So it kind of balances out a little bit. Whereas from a clinician perspective, thinking about working with children in particular in an emergency department, I know that what comes out of that doctor or nurse's mouth can absolutely make an impact on the experience for that child and their family. Mm. Choosing your words really carefully can take something that is an awful negative experience and try and, you know, obviously a positive may be a bit of a stretch, but it may be a more positive environment to do what you need to do. And I certainly experienced that when I was giving birth to my first baby. Um, <laughs> we were 12 hours into the labor and I was pretty much cooked. I was, I was like, yep, okay, we're going home now. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. I don't want this baby anymore. I can just stay in there. Thank you very much. And the midwife said to me, look, why don't we do an examination? I hadn't had one prior to that. And so she said to me, you're only four and a half centimetres dilated. All I heard was the only. Only, oh, yes. That was all I heard. So I basically, my personality then goes, huh physical challenge. (laughs) Let's get this baby out of here. And even though traditionally it's what a centimetre an hour, 20 minutes later, Eva was born. Wow. Yes. Glad that worked for you. It wouldn't have worked for me. I probably would have just burst into tears. Well, I wanted to. I wanted to, but I think my personality is very much a, well, let's do something about this. And I think about other people who may not have that personality, who may be in a really vulnerable space, it would crush you. It would absolutely crush you. So being able to keep those words in a much more positive vein, I think is a great thing. And as clinicians, we should be thinking about every single thing that comes out of our mouth because you never never know what might be completely, you know, innocent to you can really affect somebody else. Mm. Keep it positive. Yeah, nice. Luke, was there anything that you said, I mean, I'm assuming you were with your partner when you she was in labour? 
seems uh, to be what happens these days. Yeah, well, she she was in hospital for six weeks. She had wow. preeclampsia. Oh no! And so it was a it was a strange time because um, when we met, we we started living together within two days. We were married very quickly, and we we both were at a point in our lives where we just needed a positive influence and and just didn't want to let go of each other. And so this six weeks where she was in the hospital and I'd come and visit her every day and I'd bring the laptop, we'd watch a movie. It was like we were dating for the first time. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was a really lovely experience. Wow. And she'd, she'd read uh, some books that had terrified her before, uh, you know, as we were leading up to the birth. And she was so worried about going into a, a you know, traditional hospital and being around midwives and was worried that they would uh, force her to have a cesarean and they'd steal the baby and jab, <laughs> jab it full of poisons to give it autism and things like that. And oh I, I had goodness. to do a lot of reading to sort of, because I, I, I guess one of my roles is to be the voice of reassurance. I'm like, no, science says actually uh, you don't have to worry about this. Um uh, but what we found, I mean, her experience was so positive. She, it, it was, um, I mean, it really profoundly affected me just to see how, how beautifully she was taken care of. What an incredibly nurturing environment this, this hospital ward was, the maternity ward. Um, all of the midwives were just there as part of her team, and they were there to help her and, and to help her get the birth experience that was best for her and best for the baby. And I, I did feel like, a bit of an outsider. I'd occasionally, I'd be in the room and they'd refer to me in the third person. <laughs> like, not even the third person singular, the third person plural. Like, oh, yeah, they can be good for that. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it is, um, you know, I agree, absolutely. It needs to be positive. It needs to be nurturing. In, in the end, it was an emergency C-section. And uh, it was on the day that she was being induced. So I was driving to the hospital when I got you know, the text like, where are you? Get here now. And I got into the room and, and there was a person there to throw a surgical gown at me and say, all right, we're going now. Wow. So there wasn't a lot of time to think about what was being said. Uh, I just remember going into the room and I, I was surprised by how many people are in a room when a C-section is happening. It was like there were 25 people. It were people just mm. sort of sitting in groups. I wasn't sure what they were there for. And the the surgeons have white gumboots on. I remember seeing that. And I'm just there. And, and I, I had no thought as to how I'd react during this process. And what happened is I just pulled my phone out and just relentlessly took pictures and haven't really stopped since the birth. Uh, I just thought it was the most amazing thing. Um, but I, I, I just think uh, it's worth saying whenever it happens, and it happens very often, that we had a really positive experience. And yeah. the midwives, everyone at the hospital was fantastic. And, and I don't I'm, remember anything being said that was patronizing. And I'm curious as well about her experience with the C-section, because that was that was my biggest fear going into labor, was to have an emergency cesarean. Because that would, for me, be terrifying to be conscious <laughs> when that's happening. Um, did you, I mean, I know it was probably a bit of a haze, but even at that point when that was happening, did you find that she had that support? around her, the midwives. I'm, I'm just wondering that, what that you'd was say my, to someone. That was my then. job there. I, that, I yeah. feel like uh, you know everyone in there was doing a job and their job was to save our child at that mm. point. And my job was to be there with my wife. But it's very quick. What did you say to her in terms of keeping her calm? I, I honestly... Well, you take, you're I taking honestly photos. <laughs> cannot, I cannot remember. No, I didn't take photos until after they pulled the curtain down. Okay. But it is it is a very strange thing because I feel like when I walked into the room, I felt like I was seeing a magician's trick. You know, there's half of my wife 
and there's a curtain and then this what's going on on the on the right hand side of the curtain just bears no relation to how calm my wife is on the left you know and i i'm seeing this and i'm trying not to give her too many details that was my oh, thing yeah. i was like yeah. you know i didn't want to say oh my god i can they've cut you right in half at this moment <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I told her about the gum boots. Thank God you didn't. You know, and I can see I can see her face and I can see them stitching her up and there's like this blood everywhere. The placenta is enormous. I mean it was it was the most incredible uh moment of my life. And I I I've had sort of bad injuries before where you suddenly get this incredible flood of adrenaline that somehow mm. enables you to get through that. Well, this was that times a million. How interesting. I often think it must be harder for the partners in that it situation. Isn't. It, it isn't. isn't. <laughs> no, it really is. That was the right I, I, response. I'm ne- Luke. I, That's the, all the man really has to do on the day of birth is find a good parking spot. That's, <laughs> that's pretty much the extent of our physical. Labor. Well, I don't think my husband would agree. But one thing my midwife said: so the second child. Um, I remember I, I was one of the people who wanted my husband there and the poor man was sitting on a chair and it was like he was, I don't know, I've never played sport, but I imagine it was like when they do that thing in footy where they just bash each other at the very beginning. And so I was sort of climbing over him with a contraction and I was vocal and it was all happening. Ah, oh, the scrum. And then I, the scrum. Thank you. See, nothing about sport, which will bring us to our next topic very shortly. And after all of that and all the loud and poor husband getting pummeled, it would be quiet in the lull between contractions. And then you'd hear my midwife just come in and go, that was beautiful, Siobhan. <laughs> she was amazing, but I just remember thinking, there was nothing beautiful about that. <laughs> You're doing so well. That was beautiful, Siobhan. I think she was a Zen master. Anyway, midwives are great, so I'm glad they've kind of they come are. out with this. You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My guests today are Sarah Hunstead from CPR Kids and Luke Escombe, a.k.a. Asparagus from The Vegetable Plot. Up next, are there some sports that kids should just not play? Contact sports can have a detrimental effect on adults. I feel really serious saying that with that underneath me. Detrimental effect on adults. But what about contact sports that our children play? This week, after a professional boxer died in the UK, the British boxing chief said it was impossible to make the sport 100% safe. And I know boxing is a fairly extreme example, but there are plenty of sports that our children play that involve, I guess you'd call it aggressive contact, things like rugby. And I'm wondering if there are some sports we should just not let our kids play. Sarah, you have very, um, you have the experience in this field when it comes to um, actually being in the emergency department for 14 years, paediatric emergency department. But also, I guess you've got kids who probably want to play sport too. So what, what's your take on this? Oh, I have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're here, Sarah. Let it rip. <laughs> well, picture this. It's Saturday, around about 11 o'clock, probably two or three games of inter-school rugby's being played, and then the bat phone starts to go off in the ED. Yep, we've got uh, some kind of injury, nasty injury coming on in. Okay, good. And then you get two more ambulances rock up with players often from the same team. 
So I remember one particular Saturday where we have what's we had what was called the acute area where you know the sicker kids come, and all the beds were just lined up with rugby players with various injuries, from head injuries to potential spinal injuries, broken bones, dislocated shoulders. And all rugby. Majority rugby. Wow. I can certainly say that we didn't see as much AFL as what we did rugby. It was mainly the rugby schools. But being in Sydney, that's certainly what's inbred into this culture is that whole rugby culture as well. So perhaps if we were in an emergency department in Melbourne, we may have seen more injuries from the AFL. What concerns me the most is head injuries. When you think about all the studies that are going on in rugby league at the moment with the proper grown-up players who are out there and copying these head injuries and the studies that are going on to their long-term effects, what's happening to our kids? They're not fully developed yet. An eight- or nine-year-old who, you know, who's of, um, you know, Anglo origin might be quite short who's playing against an eight or nine-year-old who is perhaps of island origin who is four or five times their size. There's going to be clashes. It's a contact sport even though there are rules with the contacts. It's uneven. Injuries happen. What's happening to our kids' brains with this? And what I wonder as well is I'm, I'm sure, I mean, Everyone knows pretty much that I know nothing about sport. But I know that, you know, a lot of parents might enroll their kids in a sport they loved as a kid. And, of course, we don't expect that four-year-olds are going to be playing rugby even the same way as 10 or 12 or 14-year-olds. But if you start that love of sport so young, which we want our kids to be passionate, then what what happens when they're older and perhaps facing those sorts of instances where they might get hurt. Um, Did you have any sports that you liked playing growing up, Luke, that you would say now you'd look at your son and go, "Eh, I don't reckon you should be doing this? Uh, I'm I'm not sure I'm going to have this problem with Harry because he doesn't seem to be the sporty type. So I don't think we're going to have to say, oh, we don't want you to play, you know, rugby. I played rugby. I was in the rugby team uh, at my school and um, I, I chose, I was a new boy in this sort of quite fancy school and I uh, they had tryouts for the rugby team and I went along and I, I got in and I, I got injured a little bit and I saw people get sometimes badly injured uh, but I was part of a team and we were the cool kids in the school and had a sense of belonging from that and it was great you know we got to go on the bus and play other schools so there's a, there were a lot of positive things about that of course we could have had that playing a less violent sport uh, <laughs> rugby is is inherently a, a violent sport mm. uh, I mean rugby the story of rugby it basically was invented when someone cheated at football I, I would <laughs> Wow. I, well, they, is that true? Well, I, that's the legend, isn't it? William <laughs> Webb Ellis, they were playing football at, at rugby school, and yeah. then he picked up the ball and ran over the line and put it down and went, I've just invented a new sport called rugby. And everyone <laughs> went, oh, that's great. Let's play that from now on, oh, which brilliant. makes no sense. Basically, the referee would have blown his whistle and said, you, get off, Yeah, which is probably what should have happened. Uh, so, look, I, but I would much rather have been playing another sport. I don't like rugby. I, I really don't like rugby league. I think it's a it's a sport that fosters toxic masculinity. I think it's responsible for, uh, probably directly responsible for a lot of uh, cases of violence against women. And uh, it's just not a sport that I would ever want Harry to watch or be involved with. I feel a bit different about rugby union, which is the sort of suit and tie lawyers on the weekend, financial advisors sport, (laughs) uh, which is all, it's basically just as violent, but the focus of it is not on, oh, there's another big hit. 
I mean, basically, rugby league is just is like a, a, a sort of on-field version of war, where these <laughs> two teams just charge into each other and sort of try to generate big hits for the slow motion replay. Yeah. So, um, I mean, on the other hand, I was just we were just watching the Winter Olympics at home and wanting Harry to watch it. And there's an Aussie guy that won a silver medal in the snowboard cross, which I'm sure is a much more dangerous and injury-prone sport than rugby. I mean, you, you, you were seeing people get busted ribs, broken legs. This guy's, this kid is 23. He's had five knee surgeries. Wow. But at the same time, he just won a silver medal and he's devoted his life to this and his dad was on the radio, sounded like a great guy. And um, it's obviously a really positive thing. So I'm not against risk and pushing your body and challenging yourself because I think it's great to have confidence in your body and not to, you know, you don't you don't want to be, a, I mean, if we were worried about safety as the primary thing in our children's lives, we would never let them drive. <laughs> or go on trampolines. But that's another story altogether. We just uh, need to move along, though. There's a lot in that, I think. Um, so in just a moment, we're going to be talking about big adventures. You're listening to Kindly Conversation. Some beautiful chair dancing going on in the control room this afternoon. So this week on Women's Agenda, Dr. Rowan Brooks. She's keeping the music on so it sounds inspiring wrote about finding adventure after having kids and settling down into domestic life. Her experience involved racing across New Zealand, but maybe the adventure doesn't have to be as extreme as that. According to our Facebook um, audience anyway, it doesn't. Vivian says, shopping for shoes that fit was a size 7 before bub, now a 9. That's one of her adventures. Tanya said, showering uninterrupted. Melissa said, appreciating my mum on a new level. And Megan said, seeing my toes again. So, so the bar's not set too high, people. Um, but there are many adventures, uh, many benefits, I should say, of actually getting outside of your comfort zone, including greater confidence, tapping into a sense of self after devoting so much of your own time to your family. Sarah, you strike me as an adventurous person. Have you had any major adventures post-children? The first one, I would say would definitely be launching a startup with two <laughs> kids under three. Wow. Yep. yep. That was an adventure, but I think my biggest adventure is yet to come, launching on the 14th of April this year. We are taking our kids out of school for a full term, packing them up into a four-wheel drive and a camper trailer and driving around the top half of the Australian outback. Wow. Yeah. No, that's a big one. That's huge. Stay, stay tuned for the results of that one. Luke, has there been anything oh, for you? I don't want to go after that. That's, <laughs> that's the real deal. That's like the Are We There Yet book, isn't it? We based it on that. How did you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the vegetable plot is, is my great adventure. It's, um, I uh, decided I didn't want to be out playing Blues and Roots shows in pubs around the country late at night to drunk people and uh, but I wanted to keep playing music and I wanted to do it in a way that involved my family not just Harry but but uh, Camilla as well and so the vegetable plot was this um, 
this sort of inspiration that that came out of that need and um harry comes on the road whenever we go touring on school holidays he'll come on the road with us and he'll, he'll be, get involved on the merch table and he'll be in the mosh pit um <laughs> but then the other part of my creative life that that has taken off the most really uh is uh speaking telling my story at uh, health conferences and big uh events um and it's gone global in the last six months and so you know i'll be telling the story of of living with uh, crohn's disease since i was 14 and how my wife becoming pregnant led to me making this enormous decision to have a, a huge surgical procedure that's completely transformed my life and um the story ends with the picture of me touching my son's my newborn son's finger for the first time uh, as as a moment my life completely changed and so he's the beginning of this new chapter in my life and he's the end of the old chapter uh, and every time i show that picture uh, whether i'm in you know vienna or, or chicago um every there's i get a standing ovation um and wow. that that's that's how i feel um when i think about that moment in my life uh, so oh my gosh yeah. well that that was a pretty good follow on yes. i don't know you're going to have to do some work Sarah, now back to the drawing board <laughs> yeah another but adventure f- fatherhood is the adventure i yeah. think and i'm i'm enjoying it Oh, what a beautiful what a beautiful way to end the parent panel. Luke, thank you so much for coming in. Sarah, thank you. And we'll have to get you in after your trip around the not top end. See how it went. Yep, you can follow us on the CPR Kids page as well. Oh brilliant. Thank you both. You've been listening to the Parent Panel, a Kindling Kids Radio podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to leave a review and share it with your friends. The Parent Panel. New episodes every Friday. Hi, we're the Beanies. Get your child off screens and into their imagination as we explore how bubbles are made. What's in a sneeze? Achoo! And what's with the weather today? Professor Know-It-All knows. Hello, Beanies. Hello. The The Beanies. A podcast just for kids. Subscribe now on iTunes or listen anytime on the Kindling app.